0: You are listening to the weekly Great Governance Podcast, hosted by Dr. Harlan. So why do we do what we do? We are on a mission to find and voice the hidden stories of excellence in local government so that others are motivated to lead and transform communities. We share information and profile local government practitioners and active citizens who are ethically leading change and innovation in communities and showcase this on our various digital media platforms.
1: On the 25th of May this year, we celebrate, as usual, Africa Day. And this year, we are also celebrating 20 years of the African Union. So I'm trying to get to the root of African identity and governance. And so I invited Patrick Tarik Mellet onto our platform to explore this question about governance and African identity. That really is the focus of this podcast, Governance. So welcome, Patrick. First tell us, who is Patrick Tariq Mellet. Thanks for
2: having me. I'm a boyki who uh, was born and grew up in, in District 6, Woodstock, Salt River of Cape Town. Got to work when I was 16 and in the factory and so on. And I became a trade unionist and a political activist. Spent much of my life in that uh, realm. Exiled for 14 years, have remained a community orientated in my politics. I'm not uh, somebody who is very hot on partyism. I believe in people power rather than party power. But that's basically who who I am. I also practice as a, what some people call a heritage whisperer, in championing ancestral cultural heritage. And um, at the moment, I'm busy uh, developing a museum at the castle in Cape Town called the Kamisa Museum. I write and I research uh, on history and heritage as well.
1: Okay, so you I wrote this book, The Lie of 1652, and I know it when it was published about two years ago. It received mixed reaction from some people loved it, some people hated it. Tell us why you wrote the book and what is the contribution that you wish to make through this book?
2: It was motivated by the factor that, you know, I was very aware as a youngster growing up and then of course in my adulthood that we were being given a very distorted and in fact sometimes false history when it came to African social history. In fact, if you go to any museum in South Africa, you generally don't find anything on African social history. You'll find on history up until 1652, very much a European eye on history. And then when it comes to African social history, before that, you'll start seeing they're talking about Iron Age and Stone Age and Mm. primitivism and nothing about African social history. Then also, I was motivated by the factor that people don't really understand and know each other in South Africa across these race divides. They do not know particularly the history of people who are classified as colored, who, you know, I refer to myself and others as Kamisa Africans. People do not know the full realm of history that goes into that uh, cultural and ancestral identity. So some of these things around history, identity, heritage, needed a champion in the public space. For another reason too, in that the state and the education department has failed South Africa in 30 years to move away from mythological neo-colonial history into decolonial history and somebody needed to put a, a bomb under people's seats on that. Mm. What I was not doing was I'm not in the business of telling people what they have to believe. What this book is all about is to encourage people to explore. They don't have to accept my version. The whole motivation is go out there and find information. There's information there at your fingertips if you go and look. That completely contradicts what you've been taught at school. And in so doing, you may find that you have a much stronger sense of yourself, your belonging, and who you are. So th- those are some of the things that I had in my mind when writing this book.
1: So Thabo Mbeki says in his very famous speech, "I am an African," you know, and he starts by saying, "I am an African. I owe my being to the koi and the sun."
0: I am an African. I owe my being to the Koi and the sun whose desolate souls haunt the great expanses of the beautiful Cape. They who fell victim to the most merciless genocide our native land has ever seen. They were the first to lose their lives in the struggle to defend our freedom and independence. And they who, as a people, perished in the result. Today, as a country... We keep an inaudible an audible silence about these ancestors of the generations that lived, fearful to admit the horror of the former deed, seeking to obliterate from our memories a, a cruel occurrence, which in its remembering should teach us not and never to be inhuman again. I am formed of the migrants who left Europe to find a new home on our native land. Whatever their own actions, they remain still part of me. In my veins courses the blood of the Malay slaves who came from the East. Their proud dignity informs my bearing, their culture a part of my essence. The stripes they bore on their bodies from the left of the slave master are a reminder embossed on my consciousness of what should not be done. I am the grandchild of the warrior men and women that in Kukuni led. The patriots at Tetrayon and people took to battle. The soldiers Mushreshwe and Ngungunyane taught never to dishonor the cause of freedom. My mind and my knowledge of myself is formed by the victories that are the jewels in our African crown. The victories we earn from Isantwane to Khartoum as Ethiopians, as the Ashanti of Ghana, as the babas of the desert i am the grandchild who lays flowers on the boer graves at St. helena the bahamas and the froe monument who sees in the mind's eye and suffers the suffering of a simple peasant folk death concentration camps destroyed homesteads a dream in ruins i am the child of nonqawu i am he who made it possible to trade in the world markets in diamonds in gold in the same food for which our stomachs year. I come of those who were transported from India and China, whose being resided in the fact only that they were able to provide physical labor, who taught me that we could both be at home and be foreign, who taught me that human existence itself demanded that freedom was a necessary condition for that human existence. Being part of all of these people and in the knowledge that none does contest that assertion, I shall claim that I'm an African.
1: Those are deep words by the former president, you know, but if we look at South Africa today, who is African? I hear yeah, you talk about you being a Khamisa African. Who is African and not? If you look at the entire continent, some would argue that the Egyptians are not really African. They're more Arabic. So, and who's not? And what makes some more than African? You call yourself a Khamisa African. Are whites African? Who is an African? Okay, let me unpack this
2: for you. Let me first of all comment on tabo's fantastic and poetic speech. And say we need to be extremely careful not to just pick and choose out of it and look at the whole. I say this because today we have people walking around calling themselves First Nations and First Peoples and it's it's a very racist construct because it's not the same meaning as what it means Elsewhere in the world, elsewhere in the world, it means all indigenous peoples in the Americas, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, everybody that was there before Mm. European colonization are First Nations. In South Africa, it's become an ethnic thing, and it's based on lies around the empty land theory came about in the 19th century. The Khoi and the San and the Kalanga were often not mentioned or what we call foundation peoples. Every single African society in South Africa has part of their ancestral cultural history and heritage. Khoi, San and Kalanga, and then various others who had migrated over a 2,000-year period into the region. Mm. Now, African. Let's go first to where does this word African come from? There's all sorts of theories about it. Some give it Greek uh, origins, Roman origins, Arab origins, and so on. You have some crazy Americans saying that the real name of Africa is Alakabam, which is a nonsense word. It's not any linguistics in the world. It's complete rubbish. The term African arises in the first black Civilization in Africa And that was in the region of what we call Egypt today Hmm. Egypt's original name, when we go back 6,000 years ago To when the first civilization emerged Was Kemet And Kemet essentially means black Within the Kemet society and later Egyptian society, through Egyptologists and their investigations of hieroglyphics and so on, they have been able to put together what was the faith that was within Kemet society. Mm. And at the core of the faith was something called Afroika, And Afroika basically was saying that This was the birthplace of humanity when humanity came to the realization of what is called the car, the spirit, with the two facets of being that separated humans from the animal life was that we had not just become a being, but we had also become a spiritual being. Mm. So the opening of the car, Afroi car, that is where the term originates. You talked about Egypt and whether Egypt is Africans. Egypt is part of the African continent. Yeah. The first black African civilization, kemet established in Egypt long before Egypt became um, multicultural, multi-ethnic. Throughout Africa, there are multicultural and multi-ethnic peoples. There is no such thing as purity in Africa. You have to go back one hundred and ninety-five thousand years ago to understand the migrations of the race that we call the human race today. Everybody that exists today comes from one surviving Homo sapien people. There were more than one Homo sapien peoples at one time. There was also archaic peoples at one time. But we, throughout the world, are part of this family of Homo sapiens that emerged around 195,000 years ago in Northeast Africa and then spread throughout Africa. In that spreading throughout Africa over all of that time, ethnicities developed. Mm. Also, when people went out of Africa around about 90,000 years ago and spread across the world, wherever they settled over time, they developed something called ethnicity. So we have to keep that perspective. In 1898, there was a conference in London called the Pan-African Conference. It was the first Pan-African Conference. Out of that was formed the Pan-African Association Association. So when we talk about the AU today, it goes back to in history to that time. Mm -hmm. Who founded that, by the way? It was a Camisa African woman or colored woman from Kimberley together with an advocate from Trinidad and Tobago. So Alice Alexander from Kimberley had gone over to London and she had met up with Henry Sylvester Williams and with Zachariah Peregrino and others. And they were the founders of this Pan-African Association. At the Pan-African Conference, they talked about who is an African. And essentially, an African is any person who has at least one forebear, who is indigenous to Africa, going back to when the first African civilizations emerged about 7,000 years ago. It's a very simple explanation, but it falls in line with who is a Chinese person, who is an Indian, who is a European. These are not things that you can change and decide to adopt. Let's say a British person goes to China and they live there and they have three generations of families. Does that make them Chinese? It doesn't. Or if they go to India, it doesn't make them Indian. Mm. So we have to look at the ethnic African heritage separately from what is a political identity. Now, in the same way, we've had colonialism and as a result of colonialism, about 18 different European nationalities came to live in South Africa and have children over multiple generations. They don't stop being European. They are Afro-Europeans. They are Europeans who have shifted into another continent and established themselves there. Hmm. However, some of them will have integrated and had uh, cross-relationships. Those children have a right to call themselves African because they have at least one forebear that is indigenous to Africa. So South African identity and African identity are two different things. There is a political identity called South Africa. And by the way, South Africa is only just over 100 years old. And in fact, for most of its existence, only white people could really be full citizens. So again, even South African conjures up questions. Are we not Southern Africans? We didn't establish these borders. And that's very important in relationship to how we view our African neighbors and the whole Afrophobic upheaval that happens here and the xenophobic upheavals. So, an African is any person who has at least one forebear who is indigenous to Africa from the time that African civilizations first formed. A South African is everybody who lives in South Africa.
1: But then you introduce a term called Kamisa African.
2: What is that? Now, when we look at all the port cities in Africa, usually built on a river mouth coming into the sea, within those cities, you will see that there are multi-ethnic people who are Africans, but they also have Arab, Indian, Southeast Asian, Chinese, European ancestry as well. The term kamisa, kamisa means fresh water or sweet water for all. It's the term that was given to freshwater rivers by the indigenous indigenous people of Southern Africa. All rivers that you can drink the water from is Hamisa. In Cape Town, the Hamisa River system that runs from Table Mountain through into the sea has many, many tributaries to it. So it's an analogy as well that we use here. The first trading Khoe community called themselves Hamakwa, the water people, the water months. So what we have said is this term colored, and there's a very modern history to the term. It was only officially applied from 1911 once the Union of South Africa was formed. Before that, the term coloured was used very differently. The British said, the British coloured people of South Africa, and that included the Kosa, the Fengu, the Tswana, the Sotho, mixed other, Indian, Chinese. So coloured meant something different up until 1911. In 1911, it got this new meaning. Mm. And the new meaning was anybody who was of colour that did not speak a Bantu language was coloured. What we're saying is to define people on the basis of colour, race, and ethnicity and nationalism is not the way to go. For a dignified way of referring to ourselves, we firstly and foremostly were Africans, but we were Africans of the Kamisa footprint. And the Kamisa footprint essentially means a combination of those indigenous people who had settled and traded alongside the Kamisa River, and that the Kamisa River welcomed into its embrace people from other African countries, Southeast Asia, India, China, who were brought here as slaves, others as ex whose children and great-grandchildren all were born into slavery. They didn't keep these separate identities. They came together as one, and they had a very strong African base. So they had Koi, they had San, they had Tosa, they had Sutu, they had Tswana. If we look at somebody like Abdullah Ibrahim, the famous jazz pianist, Dolla Brand, his father was Sutu, but he's called coloured. He's an African, and I have about nine African ancestors. Mm. I'm an African because of that. I'm not an African for pulling it out of the air. But I've also got Southeast Asian ancestors and I have Indian ancestors and I have European ancestors. So we refer to people of ancestral and cultural heritage that have all of these together as Kamisa Africans. In the same way as any other African has a subculture, so you have the the Tembus, the the Batwana, the Basutu, etc. They're Africans, but they also have a sub-identity. We are Africans, and our sub-identity is this Kamisa coming together. And this coming together has a cement that binds us. We were all subject to crimes against humanity. Slavery, forced assimilation, genocide, de-Africanization, apartheid, these were major adversities that were part of our history that bound us together. And we also had a history alongside that of rising above it. So when we talk about being a Khamisa African, it's all of those things together. Mm. And I think that in South Africa, we've got to get back to a place where we were once proud to be Africans. The first people to call themselves Africans in South Africa, you must remember that inside Africa, within the continents of Africa, there was no need to define this broader landmass and broader identity until Africans were taken as enslaved people away from Africa. And looking back, they said, we came from that continent, Africa. In the same way, in the Cape, it was people of enslaved ancestry, mixed slave and Khoi and son ancestry, who first said, we are Africans. And we can trace this back to around 1690, with the birth of somebody who called himself Odoram Africana, the old ram, the old African goat. His son was called Jaga Africana, another son was called Africana Africana. These were the people that first used the term Africana. The Boers only adopted the term Africana for themselves in the 1870s, you know, we talking about almost 200 years later. If people understand this history of where the term African comes from in South Africa, as I've mentioned, Alice Alexander, who was one of the founders of the Pan-African Movement in 1898, but the first political organization in Kimberley in 1880 called itself the Kimberley League of Africans. It was predominantly Kamisa Africans, people called colored. In 1902, when Henry Sylvester Williams would set up the Pan-African Association with Alice Alexander, came over to South Africa as the first black advocate. He helped to form something called the African Political Organization, later renamed African People's Organization. That was in 1902. The African National Congress by the way was not called African at all. They were still using the term native right through to 1923. Only in 1923 did they change their name from South African Native National Congress to African National Congress. And that was largely through the interaction with the SA Native National Congress by the African People's Organization under Dr. Abdurrahman and
1: Matthew Fredericks. I wanna come back to you talk about decolonization, you know, and if you look bring that to local government, is the need then also to decolonize in local government? Absolutely. You know, I think we have to start one place before that. South Africa is part of SADC.
2: We are supposed to be part of the Southern African development community that has what I think it's about 12 countries in it, which includes, you know, Madagascar and Mauritius and so on. But there is no SADC consciousness in South Africa. Mm. When I go to Southeast Asia, which has a similar body called ASEAN, in every Southeast Asian country... There are billboards around town that publicize the membership of ASEAN. There's an ASEAN anthem, which is sung alongside the national anthem. We do not have that in South Africa. We pay lip service to the AU and we pay lip service to SADC. We have not conscientized our people about why there is such a thing called SADC and why we are Southern Africans and not South Africans. We have cousin connections all over Southern Africa, yet our people go and call others and say they're foreigners and they're aliens. We're in fact they're cousins and they helped to build this country. It wasn't just South Africans that built this country. It was migrant labor from all over Southern Africa. We have to get that consciousness. If we don't have that consciousness, we cannot start building it at the local government level because we have these notions. In fact, South Africans think very much in a apartheid paradigm amongst ourselves and in our relationships to other Southern Africans. Mm. There is no political leadership coming from government at all levels, national, provincial, and local government levels around Southern Africa. Our economies are so interlinked, and in fact, economic opportunity is being lost because of the separatism that we have. So to my mind, we have to start with educating the public and our politicians about what it means to be in SADC. Why have we joined SADC? Why were we a co-creator of SADC? Why do we have an AU and OAU before? What does it mean? It's just pure nonsense to most South Africans. Mm. Until we begin to change the mindset about why it's so important, we are not going to solve xenophobia, we're not going to solve Afrophobia, and we're not going to solve our economic problems, because the economy of South Africa on its own cannot work. It has to work as Southern Africa. And if we're attacking, if our truck drivers, (laughs) it's really stupid, our truck drivers don't want what they call foreigners to drive trucks yet these trucks are going to mozambique they're going to malawi they're going to zimbabwe to zambia to angola but we don't want those people to be truck drivers only ourselves
1: but where does the self-hate come from you know amongst Africans, amongst black communities, where does it come from?
2: If we go back and we look at the colonial approach of divide and rule, it starts there. It starts when the colonialists, first to be able to conquer, they had to entice some amongst our forebears to collaborate with them. So for instance, when we look at the, the, the commandos, the commandos were made up of 60% koi people <laughs> who went out and murdered San people under white colonial leadership. They were resistors and they were quite collaborators. Yeah. And when we go into almost every society in South Africa, Tosa, Tembu, Zulu, you name it, they were collaborators and they were resistors. Mm. And it starts there that once you start killing and maiming and torturing and so on, you begin to other those that you're doing it to. And so the soul begins to be- become twisted. When we got to the point where there was going to be this announcement of the Union of South Africa, up until 1911, There were over 100 African societies that were speaking languages that are part of the Bantu language family. And there was over 40 African societies that were speaking other languages. So the first thing that the regime did was to separate people into natives and colors. Then they took that over 100 African societies and panel-beated them down into 10 linguistic nations. To do that, they had to employ hate. And hate has been the name of the game. You know, when you went abroad, people you know mispronounce this term apartheid and they pronounce it as apart hate mm. and really that's what it was it was a system of hate and the colonial system was also a system of hate fostered amongst black people so that they could conquer And until we come to address this notions that we have today, this tribalistic notions of we are many nations, we are not many nations. We're either going to be a South African or Southern African nation, which is a modern political construct. The concept of nation is not traditional at all. It's an import. If we are going to be the South African or Southern African nation then we have got to stop this hatred between our different diversities diversity is a beautiful thing it should never be crushed there are some people say we've got to crush the diversity thing and we've got to crush group identities in favor of one solid no you don't a true way of working is to be able to celebrate our diversity in a oneness. And it's the oneness that we call nationhood or a unity of nations in Southern Africa. You're right in saying, where does the hate come from? And for me, the hate starts with the divide and rule system. You can pinpoint when these things happened in history and how they happened and what was the impact and result of that and we're still wrestling with that today and one of the reasons we wrestle with it today is that instead of us attack uh, tackling the issue of education properly history education in particular we then simply you know i use this expression it's a biblical expression that the ANC poured new wine into old apartheid wine skins and if you talk to people who know something about wine and that and wine skins when you do that the new wine actually becomes sour. Mm. and in fact it also can end up bursting the wine skin and that's what our problem here in South Africa is the ANC has taken a neo-colonial approach to almost everything but in particular to our history and heritage you know I spent my entire life in the ANC and as an activist and as an MK soldier so I'm criticising this from within yeah. the ANC has actually adopted a of mentality and a bantustan approach and it starts with these nine provinces which correlate to the old bantustans. we should never have gone down that route we went down a route that created division which was opposed to what our policy was and our policy was a a unitary state we haven't got a unitary state we've got one of the most divided states in the world and it's divided on the same basis as Bantustan mentality, until we get over Bantustan mentality and start having an African mentality. In other words, a continent-wide mentality, a subcontinent mentality, and a mentality that says we gotta build unity between peoples and stop saying that some Africans are non-Africans because they are not part of sub-Saharan bloodlines. I mean, it's bloody nonsense. It's Nazism. Yeah.
1: To the amazing and talented Great Governance team, The Voice, Mpumi Lali, and producer Al Ontong, respect and love. Keep the faith and let's work to make South Africa great, right where we are.
0: If you loved what you heard, subscribe to our Great Governance podcast that is available free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And of course, also on our HRD Governance Facebook page. And don't forget to tell a friend to tell a friend about us. Listen to learn